So I have a question to ask you. Have you ever received a better version of something that you already have? It could be a better job. Maybe it was a better place to live. Maybe it's something that was in need of repair or broken, a new phone or a new tablet, a new laptop, something that needed to be upgraded, some new advancement in a hobby that you really like that makes it easier uh, or more efficient. Can you think of something? I know personally, I think about uh, a blender that I have. It fell apart and I had to like glue it back together. But it's time that I replace that. And I'm sure that there are things that you can think of that need to be replaced. And the text that we're going to talk about today is about an upgrade, a better version of a promise that was first delivered to the Old Testament saints. And so we're going to read from Hebrews 8. So join me there in Hebrews 8. The book of Hebrews is a sermon, and we see the whole book aims to proclaim the glory of Jesus, and I want to do just that this morning. So join me in reading Hebrews chapter 8, starting from the beginning. I'm going to do the whole chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a high priest, or he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of, heavenly, of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises." For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant." And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel's after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and each shall not teach, or and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I think that there is so much joy that is contained in this chapter of Hebrews. You can see what he does in that first verse. He says, now the point in what I'm saying is this. This is accumulation of everything that the author of Hebrews has talked about so far. 
I have one major point, one central focus for the sermon, and I'll have two supporting themes under that. This is the main point. Jesus is better. He's greater than all that has come before, and he's better than anything that's ever going to come. Again, there's so much that he has promised with us, and we can see that these promises have been fulfilled because Jesus is better. It's really easy for us to get lost in the Bible and forget the basics, but the basics is what we base our faith upon. We believe according to Scripture that it is faith in Jesus and the grace that we receive for his glory. So church, we're talking about Jesus, and he is central to everything. Jesus alone is worth everything. Don't forget that. The whole point of this message today is to remember that Jesus is better. If we take our eyes off of him, then we can be the smartest people in the world and still be fools. We can sound like the smartest Christians ever and still be lost. We talk about everything surrounding Jesus, but do we remember Jesus? I sure hope that you do, and I hope that we never forget this, because Jesus is better. And here's the first way that we know that he's better. Jesus is the better high priest. The high priest was a unique role that was given to just one person who could enter God's presence only once a year, but now we have, an inf- or we have a mediator that does infinitely more because Jesus is the better high priest. Look at verses 1 through 5 again. It says, now the point that we're saying, in which we are saying is this, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Hebrews 7, the chapter just before this, makes it clear that Jesus is the high priest of this chapter. If you look at chapter 7, verse 23, it explains, it says that the former priests were many in numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. The priests from, this, from the Old Testament, they were the Levites, and they were designated to be the unique priests for God. But the problem with them is that they were merely men. They couldn't continue to intercede on the behalf of people because they would eventually die. And as it turns out, you want someone who is alive to speak on your behalf. Dead aren't known for their eloquence or for their words. They don't do much. But Christ, he does so much more than that. Though he once died, he was raised from the dead. Death does not have a hold on him. His death destroyed death. It ended it forever. 
When he died for the sins of all who believed, he's not only paid the price for those sins, but he's cleansed us and he's given us righteousness and he silenced the accusations that were caused against us. Those those accusations were true, by the way. He paid for you by his blood if you believe in him. So if you don't yet believe in him, then I encourage you, believe in him now. Trust that he's the perfect mediator that has a, or that is a better high priest. Trust that he is the one who has promised salvation to you. Since Jesus has overcome death and he lives forevermore, he intercedes on your behalf. He's a better mediator of the Old Testament priest because he overcame death and he now lives forever. Long live Jesus. Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. He's the eternal go-between for us and God, and that's why he's the better high priest. And he continues beyond that. Not only is he eternal, but chapter 7 continues. And it says, It was fitting indeed that we should have such a high priest that's holy, innocent, and unstained, separated from sin, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins first and then for the people, since he did that once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appointed a son who has been made perfect forever. Look at Jesus' credentials. He's holy. He's innocent. He's unstained. He stands perfect before God, and he's able to speak on our behalf. He's our mediator and separated from sinners because he's sinless. That's why he's rightly exalted above the heavens as our great high priest. That's why he's uniquely the one who we need. We need that perfect high priest who's pure and free from sin, and that's why he doesn't need to offer himself. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices for himself because Jesus is sinless. <coughs> sacrifices are only needed to cover sins, but he didn't have sins, so he doesn't need a covering. He was perfect. However, he did still make a sacrifice as the high priest. He sacrificed himself for us. He was the perfect once-for-all sacrifice that cleansed all sins, and unlike every other sacrifice which covers sin for a time, Jesus does something more. Jesus, through his blood, cleanses us of our sins forever. Are you convicted of your sins, brothers and sisters? It's really easy for us to feel discouraged and look down on ourselves. It's easy to see yourself as not good enough. It's even easier to believe that when we know that's true. You're not good enough. None of us are good enough. But that's the best news ever. Technically, that's not the best news ever. The best news is the promise that's been made because of that, because you're not good enough. You have Jesus, and he's good enough. You have Jesus, and you have his righteousness. You have this promise that has been made You have a perfect mediator. You have a perfect go-between for you and the Father. 
You have the blood of Jesus that covers and cleanses you of your sins. Are you excited about that, church? I'm excited about that. We have Jesus, and Jesus is so much better than anything else we could have had. I imagine that that's how you read uh, chapter 8 and how this was preached with, with, with excitement. He says, now, the point that I'm making is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, with that excitement and that enthusiasm from this text, because we have Jesus and Jesus is better. He says, this is his point. This high priest has finished his work. He's taken a seat at the right hand of God. His work is finished. He is, a father, or he is in the Father's presence. Just like the tabernacle in Moses' day, where the tabernacle was the place where God chose to live with his people among Israel, it was a holy place, the holy place, in fact. And it was there on the Day of Atonement that could only be entered once a year and only by the high priest once he was cleansed. And then that high priest could be in the presence of God to offer a sacrifice. But only if that sacrifice was unblemished and only if the priest had been purified. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. As the high priest, he made a sacrifice. He offered himself as the pure and unblemished sacrifice. The tabernacle, as the text reads in chapter 8, verse 5, serves as a copy and a shadow that's what we await, brothers and sisters. We are awaiting the day where we, because we have been made pure, will be in the presence of God. And not just for one day, like the high priest. We're waiting for the day where we will be with God forever. And that's why we can wholeheartedly proclaim that Jesus is better, and we know that because Jesus is the high priest. The text goes on and shows that this ministry continues. And in verse 6, <coughs> which I believe to be the central sentence of this chapter, is this. Verse 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. This is the second way that we know that Jesus is better. It's because that Jesus is a better covenant mediator. He's a better go-between, the one who has the, the rights to lead, kind of like how uh, Moses was a covenant head uh, at, at Sinai and how Abraham was a covenant head for him and his people or Christ and the church. And so we see that Jesus is the better covenant mediator. Do you remember what I asked when I first asked uh, at the sermon if you had been given a greater version of something that you already have? I've been working as a teacher's assistant grading papers recently, and some textbooks that I had to read when I was in school have had new editions created because they've either gained better information or the authors have learned a better way to, to say something and so these textbooks are, are something I have to get acquainted with again because there is a uh, more correct way to understand it. Second editions are usually better than the first, and third and fourth, fifth, they continue to improve upon the one before it. 
But in this text, we see that there is a new edition, but it's not just a second or a third or a fourth edition. It's the final edition. This is the covenant that caps off everything. It's the perfect covenant, and there is no need for anything greater than this. Verse 7 helps to make that clear. Verse 7 says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need or no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault with them when he says. And it appears that Jesus has, has clearly seen this upgrade that was needed. God doesn't change, and his plan from the start was always the same. So we see that it says the first covenant was uh, needed to be uh, done away with. So there was a fault, but there wasn't a fault with the covenant. There was a fault with the people who couldn't hold the covenant. There was a need for a better covenant than the one that was made with Moses. If we learn what the Mosaic covenant is saying in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The covenant in Exodus demands obedience. If you indeed obey my voice and you keep my covenant. God tells them if they obey and keep what he tells them to keep, then they will be his treasured possession. And then God gives them instructions to follow. He delivers the Ten Commandments. He tells us how to properly worship. He gives us requirements for social justice and how to follow the Sabbath. And all of these requirements come with a promise of blessing. Do this and live. They're good things. They're meant to be obeyed. So why is this first covenant relevant? Why am I talking about obedience when we're talking about a lesser old covenant? It's because the, that Israel and the Israelites weren't able to keep that first covenant. There's not much good in getting blessings or, or having blessings promised for obedience if you're not able to obey. It's a good promise, but it was a promise without hope. And yet God knew this. His plan from the beginning was to send Christ and enact a better promise. We know this was a promise from the beginning in Genesis 3 when Jesus would crush the head of the serpent, when he would crush Satan. Jesus was always meant to come and make a better way, a better covenant. And this was a promise before Jesus came here to earth. From Jeremiah 31, that's the promise that we see, and it's where the author of Hebrews goes. And so if you read the text, chapter 8, verses 8 through 13, it says it. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hands to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them into, or on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. 
from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Finding fault with Israel because they could not measure up to the demands of the Mosaic covenant, God declares something new. He promises that one day there will be a people who know God and they desire to follow them, everyone in the covenant. And this new covenant is greater than what was promised before. It's not like the other covenants because they could not carry out the demands of the covenant. As verse 9 says, they weren't good enough to do what they were told to do. The people of the Mosaic Covenant made a promise, but they didn't keep it. So how is Christ a better covenant mediator? How does he do a better job at being the one between God and us? It's because he oversees a greater covenant. Gone are the days where the covenant curses those who can't meet expectations. Gone are the days when members must be reminded about the laws and be read to them from the tablets. He's able to do this because he's fully God and he's fully man and because Jesus took that curse for us and he sends the Holy Spirit, we now have those laws in us. We have God with us. We saw the requirements of the Mosaic Covenant are plenty. If you want to have a good in-depth understanding of that covenant, by the way, you can read about it in Exodus chapters 19 through 24. There are blessings and there are, there are curses that are associated with both obedience and disobedience. Honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you in the land. Be obedient and live. Disobey and suffer the curse of the law. Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8, explains that they were commanded to obey the Mosaic Covenant. This covenant was confirmed and made official by Moses sprinkling the blood on the people. This is what Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8 says. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all of the rules, and all of the people answered with one, vo one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and took half of the blood and he threw it against the altar. Then he took a book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people, and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all the words. The blood was sprinkled, and the demand was set, but they forgot. Quite quickly, in fact, you actually see just a few chapters later that they make a golden calf, and then they name it after God's name, and then they worship it. They failed the expectations that were set immediately. They became disobedient, and they were cursed because of it. But Jesus isn't like the people in the Old Testament. Jesus is better than that. 
When Jesus came in the flesh, he perfectly fulfilled all the requirements of the covenant that he was under. He made a new covenant in his own blood, and that's what we remember when we take communion. Jesus' broken body and shed blood. The promise of the covenant is in the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We're remembering that he has a greater covenant. So do you remember that when you partake, that you are drinking in remembrance of the new covenant? And this is what the greater covenant promises. This is what verse 10 says. It says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Instead of having tablets of stone read to us, we now have God's law written in us. We have been given confidence and assurance that God is our God. He has not, he is not, and he will not abandon us. Ever. And we know this because Jesus' death secured it for us. Jesus earned what we couldn't, and now he has given it all to us, all who call upon his name. So do you believe that, church? Do you believe that Jesus is better? Verse 11 says this, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. This promise is radical. Everyone from the least to the greatest in the kingdom will know God. It will say that they don't need to teach one another about God because they'll already be united with him. We see how God accomplishes this. It's by his sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 7, says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send a helper to you. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The promise of the Holy Spirit was prophesied under the Old Covenant in Joel chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit now lives in believers. He convicts us of our sin. He grows us in holiness. He leads us in righteousness and encourages our good works. And through him, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This is not an empty promise. This is something that has been delivered. So brothers and sisters, do you rejoice in that? God is with you. There's no better promise than having God with us, and he now lives in us forever, and he shall never abandon us. So to summarize, Jesus is the better high priest. He's greater than Moses. He lives forever. He perfectly intercedes for us. He made a better sacrifice that permanently cleanses us. He upheld perfect obedience. He exceeded every expectation. And Jesus is the better covenant mediator. He delivers greater promises of a better covenant. He assures us that we will all know God. He sends the Holy Spirit to transform us. He sanctifies us, and he grows us in holiness. 
I hope that you get excited about this like it excites me because it's so easy for those of us who are in ministry to miss the beauty of this. And it's easy for those of you who have been in church for most of your life to remember this. So don't miss this good news. Don't miss Jesus. It may be the simple truth of Christianity that Jesus is central, but it's also the ground upon which your faith stands and falls. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Without Jesus, we don't have a mediator. Without Jesus, we have no promise of salvation. Without Jesus, we have no hope. But praise be to God, we have him, and he has us forever. And in that hope, we'll pray.